Have you ever longed to escape reality or fantasized about stepping into someone else's shoes, even for just a little while? Hi, I'm Laura Mullen. And I'm Chris Hawley. We host CBC's Play Me, the immersive podcast that transforms theater into addictive audio fiction. Join us for a new season and disappear into a world rich with drama, where every show delivers hypnotizing stories and unveils intriguing characters with secrets. Play me wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. I'm Tom Power. Welcome to Q. Let's talk a little bit about Bob Marley. It's kind of hard to explain just how important Bob Marley is. Like, of course, legendary reggae, ska, rock steady artist, powerful spiritual figure, political figure, national figure, especially to Jamaica. One of the best-selling artists of all time. Rolling Stone names him number 11 of the greatest artists of all time. But those are just, like, facts. Bob's songs and message have touched millions of people all over the world. You might have had the best night of your life listening to Bob Marley. You've probably seen his face on a T-shirt or, like, a dorm room poster. And you might be more familiar with, like, the symbol that is Bob Marley than the actual man or even his music. So there's a new movie coming out that's trying to show the real guy behind the cultural figure. It's called Bob Marley, One Love. It's directed by the award-winning filmmaker Ronaldo Marcus Green. Listen, this film is not your cradle-to-grave look at Bob's story. It focuses on a few key years of Bob Marley's life. He had a lot on his mind. Political tensions and violence in, in Jamaica, internal conflicts about the direction of his music, reconciling his spiritual background and the ambition he's feeling. All the while, Bob and his wife, Rita Marley, are recovering from being shot by armed gunmen. Ronaldo Marcus Green is no stranger to telling, like, dramatized stories about real people. You might have seen his Oscar-winning movie, King Richard, about Serena and Venus Williams' dad, Richard Williams. And Ronaldo came into the studio recently to talk about the new Bob Marley movie, and we got into it about telling stories about these real people. Why do it through drama? What does a feature film bring to a story about Bob Marley that a documentary could never do? How do you navigate Bob's family being involved? What do we get wrong when we talk about Bob Marley? And why does being a high-level baseball pitcher set you up perfectly for life as a filmmaker? Here's my conversation with Ronaldo Marcus Green. How you doing? I'm doing well, man. Thank you for having me. Um, I had, uh, this is a weird way to start, but I, I talked to Ziggy Marley one time on this show. Mm. And I said to him, your dad is a poster to me. Like Your dad is a t-shirt. Your dad is a box set. Your dad is not a real human to me. And I was asking him, like, you know, what is that like knowing that this person who was your father is a symbol, mm. not often treated like a, a real man. As someone who has to approach making a film about a real man, what was going through your mind? Yeah, exactly that. Like, you know, you see Bob in the interviews and you're just like, who is that guy when when the tape cuts off, you know, that's who I was interested in trying to find out because like you said, he's the buttons and the bags and the t-shirts and I could even recite some lines to his music, but I didn't really know, I didn't know the depths of that man and, and just trying to uncover some of that was just, yeah, that was part of the discovery process of trying to make this movie, man, is trying to find out who he was as a, as a husband, a father, uh, you know, be, going beyond just a musician. Um, what were his struggles? Um, what did he struggle with? Because I think, 
you see Bobby seems kind of relaxed. Everything's kind of chill, makes chill music, you know, but I think he carried a heavy burden. Um, he carried a heavy burden and um, we wanted to show some of that. What was the most surprising thing or the most, yeah, the most surprising thing you found out about him when you were doing the, the, the deep research into him? Two, two things. One, his work ethic. Like, n- I don't know why, and I think we just, I, I'm guilty of this. Like, if somebody's great, I just assume they're great. Like, the, <laughs> yeah, they just, yeah. you know, it's like, oh, oh like, he's just, he's just amazing at what he does. They right? were like, born differently yeah, than like me and you. Kobe yeah. shoots yeah. and he scores. Yeah. And then you forget that, like, Mamba mentality. Like, he was there at five before anybody showed up. Yeah. And I think Bob had Mamba mentality. Yeah. Well, he had Bob mentality. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. like, he just, he was the hardest working man alive. He just that that's the that was the work ethic. Again, this chill dude who makes chill music for chilling out is I mean, it's not all that that music the music's not all that, yeah. but a lot of that's the perception you would think, but no, hard worker. Hard worker, hard, relentless, revolutionary, militant, like all of these things that were like, oh, okay, like Bob didn't play. The name of Ziggy's company is called Tough Gong. Like these guys were from the street. He was from rough, rough background. So to to just know like how hard he worked to put it in the music was was r- incredible. And then his journey to like Rastafarianism. Like I didn't know that Rita was the one that introduced him to that, which I think was probably the single most important moment uh, in Bob becoming who he was. Just like giving himself a sense of space and um, and a religion and a faith a and something and a family, a family, basically the family he didn't have. That's right. You know, and, and I think that, that like, that was critical to try to understand some of that, you know, like you see Bob and you know, it's just like cool hairstyle. Like, no, like he lived it. That was his life. His life was his religion is what he read. It's what he sang about. Um, and so, yeah, just just like that felt like the right foundation for the film and things that I thought were interesting to bring to light about about him that I didn't know. fan beforehand were you you oh yeah yeah i mean like of course grew up with bob in the household for sure but like honestly like i i in some crazy way i feel like a novice i didn't know much about him i just really didn't you know he was he he's an enigma it's like a like superman like you don't see him do the work but you know it just shows up you know he's a superhero so yeah i think you know i always loved bob always loved his music but you know as i started this process realized like i didn't really know yeah. I didn't know much at all. As I mentioned, you did make a cradle to grave kind of thing. The, the movie doesn't start with, you know, his early life is depicted and, and, and shown throughout the film. But you focus on a few key years around the recording, like kind of around the recording of Exodus, a little bit before the recording of Exodus, a little bit, uh, and of course, towards his passing. Talk to me about that decision, why you wanted to focus on that time. Well, you know, it was a period of time in Jamaica where the country, the country was in trouble, you know, um, two warring factions, Bob was in the middle of it. Um, he was, it was a star in Jamaica, but he wasn't a star globally at that point. 
And it just was a change. It was a changing point in his life, you know, uh, a pivotal moment where he gets shot, uh, his family gets shot, Rita gets shot, and that can change anybody. Um, and essentially, he's in exile. Like the guys, like Bob Marley's in exile, and, and what does he do in exile? He creates Exodus. <laughs> um, he leaves us with one of the greatest albums of the 20th century. He also created Kaya during that time. So just the, the idea that he had this outpouring of work, this outpouring of message and music that, uh, that he did during that time. And obviously he you know, was diagnosed with cancer and, and our film gets out before the, the end there, but it was a celebration of his life. It was a celebration of the gift that he gave us and left us in his music and, and probably some of his most famous songs. So it felt like that snapshot gave us some insight, some insight into who he was, what he must have been struggling with, because it just looks like he didn't struggle. Like, yeah, hey, he's, he's Bob. Like, you can't struggle, right? Yeah. It's like, you don't think about your heroes struggling like that. But he did, man. He struggled. He struggled heavy. The struggle is not with the outside world alone, though. I mean, Rita, who, who you mentioned there, uh, Bob, Bob's wife at the time, she talks about the pollution that he surrounds himself in. The, the, the idea that it wasn't just political unrest in Jamaica. It wasn't just the exile he was going through. It's also that um, Exodus, the album, gets bigger than anyone could ever imagine. He becomes a global superstar, touring France, touring Sweden, selling out everywhere everywhere he, he, he goes. Um, and he had internal struggles. I mean, your depiction of Bob as someone who was excited about being rooms where people were drinking wine and, you know, the queen or princess of Morocco w- was there. It's interesting to see Bob's internal struggle. Yeah, for sure. And I think that's that's what humanizes him. You know, you, you see him make mistakes. You see him stumble. You see him be afraid. You see him running from himself. You see You see these things and it just makes you feel like you could relate to that person. I think that's what Bob did so well. He was just so relatable. Like he was he was your common man and woman. He he heard the stories from the community and was able to channel that and turn it into music. I mean, I don't know how many people can just can do that. Um he just he truly was able to be the voice of the people in a way that uh, you know, it's what makes him an icon. Even, even, even though he's struggling, even though he's he's not sorry, he's a voice of the people, but he's not like infallible no no and that, i think that's that was the beauty of 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 bob i mean he's just when you're a spiritual being like i think he truly was that deeply connected to his spirituality everything he put into his body every the way he trained was all it was all to reach a deeper state of consciousness even the way you see him dance like mm-hmm. it feels like he's possessed it's like something has taken over his body to move the way he moved, um, the fluidity in which he moved, uh, the 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 grain in his voice, the pitch, the sound, all of it felt like he was operating on a on a higher level <laughs> than, than most human beings. Do. So when you put on Exodus to get ready for this record, when you listened to Exodus, knowing what you you, you you were doing the kind of discovery for this record, what what are you hearing? Like what 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 did you realize when you were listening to Exodus? It just sounds like it's you know it's like it's a good marching beat, right? Sounds cool, Exodus. Exodus. But yeah, it sounds it sounds cool. Then you're like movement of job people. Oh, 
like what <laughs> you know like my man singing for an entire nation entire world to move to unite like it's not just happy go lucky there's a there's a militancy there's a there's a potency there's a vibrancy to what he's singing about and so the struggle becomes real it's enjoyable it's fun but like just getting closer to that and understanding that like it was no joke what was happening in jamaica and jamaica was a microcosm for so many other places in the world dealing with similar struggles and i think that's why places like brazil are like he's a hero there i mean you know he his his message resonates in every corner of the world I was, um, how do I put this? When I went in, and, and I talked about this with some of the, the folks who I, I went to see the film with. When I went in, I was like, and I hope you take this in the spirit, I mean it. I, I don't know how this is going to go because I know that Bob's family was involved in the, I mean, Tough Gong is, is part of it. Ziggy, Ziggy was involved. I was concerned that we may not see imperfections. I see you nodding along with me here as, as, no, as, of course. as I say this. Um, one of the things that comes up is Bob's, uh, you know, uh, I don't want to say womanizing, but like, you know, being unfaithful. Rita's, you know, uh, you know, stepping outside the marriage a little bit. Um, the the imperfections that you just mentioned. Mm. Is it awkward talking about this stuff when the family with the family when it comes to making this thing? No, I think a lot of that was public information. And um yeah, it it was. Um, it was known Bob had a girlfriend of six years mm-hmm. and Cindy Breakspear. It was known that he had, uh, you know, uh, children from other women. So it was public knowledge. We we knew that. Um, what our film tries to focus on was not that. And yeah. Not not for purposes of of trying to st- stay away from it, but just it. It wasn't the focus of his music and message. I should be clear. I'm not just talking about the woman. I, I really appreciate you, t- you taking it that way. What what I mean is that like to depict a family member as someone who was flawed, not just in terms of a relationship, but in terms of a struggle, in terms oh, yeah. of like getting caught up in the in the glitz and glamour of the whole thing. I like to communicate in, in movie terms. So even when I'm talking to the family, I'm very much talking about the movie, the movie that we're making, the character that we're making. Separate Bob from the character, Bob. Um, we're making a film. It, it's a depiction of your father. It's not obviously being played by an actor. So it's always in movie terms because I think that helps brace the, it didn't happen that way. Of course, well, of, of course, because mm-hmm. it's not 1976, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, like, yeah. and I think there's just a the reality of like, we're making a movie. Everything we're doing in the movie is actually fake. Everything. Yeah. Yeah. Every single thing is fake. <laughs> it is fake. You're right. <laughs> For anybody, yeah, you're right. Just, just in case we forgot, it's all fake. It's all movie making. And the truth already happened. It can't be true. None of it's true. Not one movie is true. It's all false. It's all fake. Everything's made up. But you're trying to get as close to the accuracy of that truth as you possibly can. And, 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 and that's what we were trying to do in two hours, was trying to depict a man, what he was about, the essence of him. Did he speak? Did he say those exact words? We got close. We weren't there. There's no videotape. And the only tapes that exist are the ones that are online that everybody's seen. Yeah. And so it just was like we had to fill in the blanks. That's just 
what movie making is. Yeah. You try to fill it in as accurately as you can. It's yeah. like it's like what is the mad libs. Yeah. You know, where you're like, oh Yeah. This and could be this could be a lot of words. And get the spirit of get the spirit of the, the fella out. Absolutely, you know? absolutely. And and look, I think we I think we got there, man. And yeah. and I knew that because we were around the Marleys and and they're an extension of their dad. The way they walk, they talk, their disposition, their vibe, just the the spirituality, the mannerisms, all of that was was readily available to us. If you if you can't answer this, I, I get it. But the, the one of the scenes in the very beginning of the film that really got me was um, was Bob's being shot. Bob mm. Bob Marley is shot. Um, people said he, he said he was neutral in Jamaican politics. Some thought that he was like tacitly supporting the country's prime minister by performing this concert in, in '76. But Rita gets shot too, and in 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 that scene in, in real life, Rita's still with us. Did she talk to you about that night? So I never spoke to Rita about that night, um, but I did go to visit her in Miami, and uh, I wanted to get that blessing basically um you know rita's of, of a certain age and uh she's had some some health issues so um it was really you know me talking and her listening um but i can tell she was ready to make the movie about her her husband and you can tell being in her presence the love she had for that man was real you can tell the way she nodded that she was um yeah, she she approved, I guess, if you will, if if, that, if that's a way to put it. It was yeah. a, it was a it was a sensitive meeting, but an important one. Um, she was there at the screening in Jamaica, the world premiere, and you can hear her in the back, and she was emotional, and uh, I felt like we felt like we did something right. What a responsibility you had here mm-hmm. to tell the story of not just like this global icon, this national icon to Jamaica. Um, and to a, a family member of, you know, Rita and Zicky, that's that's quite a responsibility to take on. Yeah, man. Yeah. As if you didn't already know that, side. by the way. Yeah, it was know? heavy. It's heavy, man. It's heavy. But look, they were going to make a Bob Marley movie. Okay. You know it, right? When they're ready to make it, they're ready to make it. And then it's like, well, at least let's try to get close to doing something that you can, you know, rest your hat on, right? You can say we, we tried our best. We gave a we gave the closest effort we can to finding Bob Marley. I mean, Kingsley delivers an extraordinary performance. He's not Jamaican. He doesn't sing. He doesn't dance. He doesn't play guitar. And he and he nails it. Uh, I mean, it's unbelievable what he was able to do. Lashana Lynch is equally as incredible. Um, the music scenes are raw. They're fun. It's exciting. The music is what the music is, you know, and, and trying to build a movie around that that made, that didn't you know, look at Jamaica as like this outside world, mm. you know, like the language is such an important part of this film, you know, making a, a foreign language film with no subtitles, you know, this is... I never uh, thought about it like that before. Sorry, for people who haven't seen the film, can you talk through that a little bit? Yeah, so the film's in Patois and, you know, and 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 obviously you might know films like Cool Runnings, which is a great film, but mm-hmm. like... That's definitely for an American audience. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah man, so yeah. that you can hear everything that yeah. they're saying. It's yeah. like, yeah. that's not how Jamaicans speak. Yeah. It's just not. Yeah. And um, that's not even how my New York Jamaicans speak. Yeah. So, In Toronto, same thing. You know? yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah. I was like, look, we can't go into the Bob Marley biopic and do anything close to that. We have to be raw and real and authentic. But 
that could be limiting, man. We're trying to make a universal movie. This is a big budget film, right? It's mm-hmm. a studio. Mm-hmm. So there were times where, look, we had to pull back for legibility or just understanding it. And, and honestly, because we're not native Patrick's speakers, there's not just a, a, a literal translation. There's a, there's, it changes the words or the meaning of a sentence when you change it into Patois. So I think there was, there was such a process of, of dissecting this film and translating it to try to get the language right. But I think it's, it makes it poetic. It makes it different. It makes it kind of stand out on its own, you know, on its own merit. And yeah, we're, I'm proud that we leaned into that. Well, here's, here's my question for you. When you say to me, you know, like, hey, I'm saying to the, to the Marleys, like, this is not a documentary. This is, this is a feat. This is a film. This is a movie about your, your dad. I am really curious as to, as to why this is something that you are interested in. Like, if you look at your if you look at your filmography, I love that word by the way. <laughs> but like, it's a lot of your work has been about using I don't want to say fictional, but like, drama, a feature film lens to talk about real life events and people, monsters and men, looking at police brutality. I mean, Joe Bell, King Richard, real life guy, a guy who's been in this studio. Yeah. You know, a, a father of Venus and Serena Williams, both based on real people's lives. I hope you take this in the spirit. I mean it. Why do you go for feature scripted film? Why? What does that do for truth? What does that do for telling someone's story that a documentary, you know? I think fiction allows for a wider audience. And we know that. Um, documentaries just don't travel um, in the same way. Um, they don't have the same reach. And so it is an opportunity to tell a story um, and capture something that might be not exactly what it is, but close to it, so that it can transcend. Our film was about transcendence or trying to hit that word. Bob's music stands the test of time. It's something that is stronger today than it was when he first. Transcend what? Transcend? So we know that Bob, in Rastafarianism, you don't die. Right. You live forever. Right. And I wanted the ending of the film to feel like Bob's music lives forever that he doesn't die in our movie he doesn't die bob is here he's well he was he was alive his spirit was alive his music is alive and the and to create a film that felt like that that we brought him back and he's still around um yeah we miss him in in the physical sense in the physical being but that his music his message is as alive today as it as it was when he first created Marley and Jammin' from Exodus. Uh, after this conversation with Ronaldo Marcus Green, I spent the weekend listening to Exodus again. I had listened to it since I was, you know, back in university. Anyway, it is uh, as good as he says it, it is and as good as you might remember it being. Um, coming up, more of my conversation with the director of the new movie about Bob Marley, Ronaldo Marcus Green. We talk about, so this guy Kingsley Ben-Adir plays Bob Marley in the movie. What did Kingsley have to get right in order to play Bob? Plus, Ronaldo talks about why being a baseball pitcher is the thing that sets you up for being a filmmaker. It's after this on Cube. One of the best shows of the year, according to Apple, Amazon, and Time, is back for another round. 
This season, we're diving deep into some of McCartney's most beloved songs. Yesterday, Band on the Run, Hey Jude. And McCartney's favourite song in his entire catalogue, Here, There and Everywhere. Listen to Season 2 of McCartney, A Life in Lyrics on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Solid, solid song for Valentine's Day, by the way. That is Bob Marley and Waiting in Vain from one of Bob's most famous records, Exodus. I'm Tom Power. You're listening to Q. You're in the middle of my conversation with Ronaldo Marcus Green, the director of the new movie about Bob Marley, Bob Marley, One Love. Um, And that movie takes place around the time this album was recorded, which was a really pivotal time in Bob Marley's life. He's going from being big in Jamaica to a global superstar. There's all kinds of political unrest happening in Jamaica that Bob's involved in. Uh, he and his wife are recovering from being from, from an assassination attempt. So we talked about all that in the first part of our conversation. If you don't know Ronaldo Marcus Green, he's a guy who's made a career out of telling incredible stories about real people. Like he got a lot of attention for being the director behind King Richard, which looked at the life of Richard Williams, a Serena and Venus Williams father. We touched on this earlier in the conversation, but I wanted to know more from Ronaldo about that. Like why is someone drawn to telling stories about real-life people as opposed to, like, making documentaries about real-life people. Plus, how his career as a baseball pitcher set him up for being a filmmaker. So listen up, Kevin Gosman. Here's the rest of my conversation with Ronaldo Marcus Green. But 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 go back to what the thing I was saying before. Why is it about you as a filmmaker? Like, what what isn't... You could be making Lord of the Rings. Yeah. You well, know? What look, is it about real-life people I, that you're interested in and telling these stories about? They're just great stories. They're great stories. When I think about Goodfellas, that's based on real people. Yeah. It's based on real people. When I think about Rain Man, it's based on real people. I mean, call it a bi- you might as well call it a biography. Those are my favorite movies. And this was just a great story about a young kid from Trenchtown, poor, homeless, absentee father, not supposed to be the world's greatest musician. That kid had all the things stacked against him. Yeah. That's just a great story. Oh, by the way... Turned out to be Bob Marley. Oh, by the way, left us with some of the greatest music ever made. Like, that's just a great story. It just so happens to be about his life. Same thing with King Richard. I mean, it's just a great story. Two kids from Compton, what, to play tennis in a war zone and come out to be two of the greatest to ever do it. By the way, culturally, like, not even a sport that we cracked or even even allowed into like just great stories and so to me the approach was never to make like biopics or i don't know it wasn't even the movies that i i watched i just think about the story what did you watch goodfellas <laughs> goodwill hunting you know these are the kind of movies that i love i do love dramas i love dramas i love dramas i love the emotions of dramas i love the I love that. I love that you uh, get to tell a story in two hours and sit with these characters and have a range of emotions and feel something when you go to the movies. Um, I miss those movies. I'm, I'm, I'm a child of the 80s, so I, I, miss, I miss that kind of storytelling. And 
hope my films have a little bit of that nostalgia to them. You were kind of late to filmmaking too, weren't you? Like you were, you were a pretty high level athlete for a while. Yeah, I, play, I, I played uh, college baseball, and then uh, what, what, what did you play? I was a pitcher in college. I find pitchers really interesting. Yeah, they have a different psychology than than the rest of the team. I would agree. They're they're lone wolves. Yeah, they're solo solo dudes on that team. You got it. There's there's yeah. You, you have to you have to dig really deep on that mound when there's five fifty thousand fans or whatever it is screaming and yelling and. You have to get an out. Like you can't miss the objective. Yeah. You know, like the objective is to get an out. And you know, the guy across the mound is trying to kill you. Trying you know, he's just you. trying to try to kill the ball. Yeah, trying to take your job. Trying to away take your job. Trying to take your livelihood. So yeah, there is a little bit of us, us against the world. And but I don't know. There's something really exciting about that. There's something exhilarating playing on the edge, on the fringe. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I, I do feel like a, an athlete when, I, when, I, when I'm directing. What, what did you throw, a fastball? Fastball, slider. Those are my two. Good good fastball? I thought it was pretty good. I mean, I didn't make the major league, so it couldn't have been that good. <laughs> um, it was decent for the level that I played, and then I became a kindergarten teacher. <laughs> and at Wall Street, too, right? Yeah, where I, was, I, was, I taught for a few years in Bedminster Township. New Jersey, and then went to Wall Street for five years, working in diversity and inclusion for AIG, and uh, and then I left to go to NYU, Tisch Graduate Film School. How old were you then? I was twenty-seven. That's older than the kids who were in your school. Oh yeah, the, yeah, and, and they let they reminded me I was like uncle by the time I went in that school. <laughs> uncle Ray, <laughs> it's like oh my god, I'm twenty-seven. You know, my my hairline's receding a hair, but you know, uh, yeah, it was an experience. It was a humbling experience having after having earned like a paycheck, never never thinking I was going to get into debt again to go back to film school and uh, yeah, and try try this thing out. Did um, does that help? Does that does that help you? Like, does not does going in later in life after having not coming out of the world, not going in there at eighteen, nineteen years old. Does that help you know exactly what you want to do when you comes to making films? Not at all. Oh, not at all. I think um, I think it's your time when it's your time. It was my time to explore something different at that point in my life. I thought I knew a lot about the world and realized I didn't know that much at all. I'd never been asked truly. I think filmmaking was the hardest thing. I'd never been asked to really like dissect myself before. Like if you're making films, you know. They attack you because it's your point of view, it's your perspective, and like you got to know who you are. But like, how often do we actually like go and do that work? You know, I, I spent my time like little Bob in the movie running from the fire. You know, was not not trying to find out what was happening to me as a kid. That's a, that's too painful, man. That's a lot of work. It's deep psychology you got to go into. Film school was a little bit of that. It was that it was facing the fire a little bit. You got to crack yourself open a little bit. Oh man, you're the most vulnerable you ever are. You know, it's like it's it's critics. Everybody's like, I mean, it's it's a hard. You got to have some tough, tough skin in film school. That was uh, that was rough. It was a rough four years, but uh, we came out alive. Yeah, right. Because as an athlete, you just got to go out and do the thing. Yeah, you're either good or you're not, and you either make it or you don't. In film school, you're paying a lot of money to get destroyed. It's like it was a safe space. Yeah, it was safe. You have good professors, but that they're not there to pat you on the back. They're there to tell you that you're not good enough, and not a lot of people can take that. You know, so it's a it's a heavy space to go into. You know, to to feel like you're 
you know, you're a fake, you're a fraud, it's never going to happen. Do you know, do you know why I think it helped you though? And um, uh, I know I just met you, but I'm going to tell you this <laughs> apparently, but I, I, I want to see if you agree with this. I had a guy in one time, geez, I can't remember his name right now. He was a, he was a minor league hockey player who became an actor here in Canada mm. on this big show called Letter Kenny here. Great show. And um, I, I just threw it out. I was like, do you think your minor league hockey helped you with being an actor? You know, you just never yeah. know. And he said, and I wonder if this is the case for you. He said, when you're an athlete and you lose, you have to get over it right away. That's for sure. And you have to walk on there the next day and you can't carry any of that loss with you. Short-term memory. Short-term memory. And that's what I love about baseball. You play 162 games a year. Sometimes a doubleheader. And if you're lucky, you make it to the playoffs. And if you're lucky, you get to the, to the big game. And that's it. Every day, whether it's good or bad, you have to flush it. Literally, you could have the best day of your life. It doesn't matter. You're thinking about that home run you hit yesterday. You're striking out three times the next day. So you just have to have short-term memory. Good day on set, doesn't matter. Bad day on set, doesn't matter. What happened at lunch, gone. Critic says something. Gone. Gone. Critic, gone. And you have to have short-term memory. It is what it is. You have to make movies because you love making movies. And look, you win some battles, you lose other battles, but you're, I'm in it for the war. Mm. I hope at the end when I'm when I'm done and bloody like that guy got his uniform dirty. Mm-hmm. Like I love the way he played the game. Mm. Like that's what I want my legacy to be. Like he put it all out there. He didn't win them all, but he he won. Mm-hmm. He won. He won the war, and uh, he fought a good battle. I, I love this so much. Okay, let, let me let me go back into the to the before we go. Um, let's go back to the films. What did you say about Kingsley? You said you said to me, "Well, Tommy, here was the challenge. Like he wasn't Jamaican, <laughs> he didn't play guitar, and he didn't sing. Yeah. This is and he's not a music. You know, this is yeah. not going to be. I mean, there was a lot of talk that he wasn't uh, Jamaican. That came up a lot in the early days of the casting of this film. So when the time comes, and I, I gets, I don't want to talk about like his spirit or his attitude towards the film. What's something specific that he needed to get right to play Bob? He needed to understand his role in the film. Uh, you know, whether you're, not to use other sports analogies. Go but, on. You know, you're, you're Michael Jordan, right? Michael Jordan in the last dance had to learn how to pass the ball. That's how you win championships. Right. Got to pass the ball. You're not going to score 100 points. And I think that's, you know, and believe me, when you're excited and the whole world is on your shoulders, you want to score 100 points. Like, you can't count on anybody else to score anything for you. Like, you got to score it. And, like, you have to learn to pass the ball. And I think that's every, every actor in a lead position. And once they learn that, that court, once they learn those fields, it's once a dialogue. they learn it's the a, dialogue, it's, yeah. it's everything. It's everything that goes into that, that his scenes with Lashana, all of those things, you know, that's having Scottie Pippen or Rodman next to you. You're all of a sudden that the whole film is strengthening because of those core relationships. And now we just need to play as a team. And this one in particular was really a team sport. I don't speak Patois. So if I'm giving him a note, it's in English. He can't just improvise that note because he needs to learn it. He needs to, he needs to learn it not only in Patois. He, needs to, it's, he can't just learn the sound of it. He can't learn it phonetically. He has uh, to understand yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. So it's like- He has to speak it. He has to speak it. And in order to speak it, you have to believe it. So just imagine, oh, I have a note. Let's just try that little quick thing. There is no try a little quick thing. That, that part of was out in this process. So that, that was a challenge. It was a dance that we had to work through because of the language barriers and the translation and what these words mean. So, yeah, it was a process, man, but he delivers, man. He really went in. He did the work. 
He did the homework. I thought you were going to say something like, oh, he had to learn to cross his legs with his left leg over his right leg. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He had to learn how to skip two steps instead of one. I mean, they were like little Bob. What do you mean? Because Bob didn't, I guess, when he was going upstairs, he didn't just take one step at a time. Oh. He would just skip. He had all these like little Bobisms that the family were like, you know, he skips two steps, like all this stuff, which was great. I mean, I think that's, you know, I think when you get super specific, it becomes more universal. Yeah. People lean into it. Yeah. It's just one of those things. And uh, I loved all those Bobisms that made their way into the movie. Um, we're we're going to go out on a song. Why don't you pick it? Any, give me a Bob Marley song you Ooh. want to hear at the end of this thing. What kind of energy you want? Come man? on, it's public radio. Ooh, so, public, so, you know? <laughs> yeah, so I can't get you to sleep. No, you you can you can do whatever you want. You no, can do no, this no, is no, this no, is. Uh, all right. Well, look, I'm gonna have to go with my favorite my favorite number, which is Redemption song. Oh wow, hits me every time. It's emotional. Um, so let's let's go Barry White. Let's go slow. Let's go back. Yeah, we don't we don't need to get to we don't need to get up stand up. We can chill out a little let's bit. Chill out. Let's we can chill out a little bit. And a song that is really important. Sort of through the through line of the whole film. Absolutely. Thanks for coming in. Thank you, man. Lovely to meet you. Yeah, likewise. Old pirates, yes, they rob I. Sold I to the merchant ships. Minutes after they took I. From the bottomless pit. But my hand was made strong. By the end of yeah, at the beginning of this show, I was talking a little bit about how Bob Marley has become like a symbol, a political symbol, a spiritual symbol, way more than a man who made music. And when you listen to songs like Redemption Song, it's such a shame that he's more of a symbol than he is. You know what I mean? Like the, the music, maybe what I mean by that is that the music is that good. Like the music is spectacular. It's never lost it. It's It's better than you could ever imagine it being. That's the sort of takeaway I have from this whole experience of like getting re-immersed in Bob Marley's music. That's Bob Marley and Redemption Song, uh, a song chosen by my guest, Ronaldo Marcus Green, the award-winning filmmaker who is the director of the new biopic, Bob Marley, One Love. That film is out in theaters today. That is it for the show today. Tomorrow on the show, the actor Paul Giamatti has been in dozens of films and TV shows. Uh, The Howard Stern movie Private Parts, the series Billions, Sideways that he acted in 20 years ago. Now he's reunited with Alexander Payne for the new film The Holdovers, and his role has earned an Oscar nomination for Best Actor. A conversation with Paul Giamatti, who I don't think has been on the show before. A conversation with one of the best actors living, Paul Giamatti, on the show tomorrow. If you want to get in touch with me, q at cbc.ca is the best way to do that. On Instagram, I'm at Tom Joe Power. I think I'll, I'll, you know what, I'll post something up there so you can have a look. Something to, I don't know, picture my cats or something like that. The show is at CBCQ. We'll see you tomorrow. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.